0: You're listening to this is hell's favorite listeners favorite interviews of 2021 hi producer alex here chuck is on a short winter break and we'll be back to live shows on january 3rd taking the rest of the year to play highlight conversations from the past year suggested to us by listeners and today we're revisiting an april interview with journalist cerise castle around her investigative series a tradition of violence thanks to david g and jeff d for the suggestion. Thanks for listening, everyone. Merry Christmas. See you next year.
1: This is hell.
0: It appears that since the late 1980s, gangs have been terrorizing the people of the Southland who live within the jurisdiction of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. But the problem for the people of the community is that not all the gangs are your typical street gangs where you can report them to the police. That's because some of the gangs... Are the police And it's really hard to tell them apart Here to blow our minds About the L.A. Sheriff's Department And gangbanging in general Reporter Cerise Castle Is the author of the ongoing 15-part investigative series A Tradition of Violence The History of Deputy Gangs In the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department Which appears at Knock-LA.com Welcome to This Is Hell, Cerise
1: Thank you so much for having me
0: This is Absolutely amazing You can follow Cerise on Twitter At Cerise Castle You can find out more about Cerise At CeriseCastle.me So is this investigation ever going to end? How many parts are you going to have in this series?
1: Oh wow I don't think it will ever end This is going to be a subject That I continue to investigate For the rest of my life I believe
0: Yeah, It's really amazing The one thing I want to make sure that people understand Well let me just ask you what do you think the likelihood is that this is only happening in with within the Los Angeles Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department? How, how likely do you think it is that this might be happening in, you know, Sarasota, Florida or Seattle, Washington or wherever else?
1: Well, I know for a fact that there is a motorcycle club called the Choir Boys that operates in all 50 states that is a Well, we could call it a gang um, that operates in all 50 states and it's made up of law enforcement. So this is a nationwide problem.
0: And how much do you think that nationwide problem has contributed to uh, potentially more violence being conducted by the police? Are the police any more violent since this kind of beginning of uh, deputy gangs?
1: Well, when we look at Los Angeles specifically, these deputy gangs, we know that they've existed since at least the early 1970s, and that's almost 50 years at this point. So here in L.A., it's become so entrenched with how law enforcement is carried out. It's, it's really one and the same. And, you know, I think that attitude of us versus them, you know, keeping the blue line I think that's an attitude that's been adopted by law enforcement agencies across the country.
0: So you point out that uh, you introduced your investigation by stating that there are at least 18 gangs within the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, uh, officials at various government agencies, including the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, the Los Los Angeles County District Attorney, the California Senate. Uh, Senate Subcommittee on Police Officer Conduct And the United States Commission on Civil Rights Have heard testimony on the violence Inflicted on communities at the hands of Deputy gangs for decades and yet there have not Been any internal investigations Or significant policy changes to address The issue so what explains that Lack of investigations is it is there Simply no political motivation Or public pressure for those investigations Does the public not know What explains to you why there has yet to be Any investigation
1: Well, I frankly just don't think that there's been any investigations because of a lack of political will. I mean, the police unions are very powerful and they exert a lot of pressure on politicians when they try to do something that said unions don't like. like. Like you mentioned, these gangs have been operating with the knowledge of several government agencies, from local L.A. politicians all the way up to the federal government. And the most that has really happened are hearings. I don't think that that's any coincidence. I think, you know, at the end of the day, these police unions have a significant amount of power, and they flex that power when it comes time to head to the ballot box.
0: Does unquestioning public support for cops... Do you think that leads to things like deputy gangs?
1: Well, I think when you're looking at the deputy gangs here in LA, The community has known about them for decades. I mean, I myself got interested in this because I grew up in Los Angeles and I can remember going back to childhood hearing from people to, you know, watch out for white deputies with shaved heads because that meant that they were likely Vikings. So this is this is something the community has known about. I think that perhaps people were afraid to speak up because these gangs target people in you know low-income areas i know when we're looking at east los angeles specifically there is a very high um, immigrant population some of which are undocumented and the gangs will threaten people with deportation if they speak up Uh, so i think it's really just the gangs knowing how to manipulate the system to keep themselves in power
0: You said that these gangs started, you dated it back to the 1970s. They seem to have really expanded, exploded in the late 1980s, and that's around the time when the whole world was learning about the intense amount of Los Angeles gang violence, street gang violence that was happening at that time. To what extent do you think the deputy gangs either exacerbated or contributed to that explosion in gang violence in the late 1980s? What do we miss in our understanding of that gang violence when we don't recognize that deputy gangs were involved as well?
1: Well, one interesting point that has come up in my research um, is the advent of the drive-by shooting. It's speculated by many, many elders in the neighborhoods in South and East Los Angeles that the police were actually the ones who popularized uh, that way of killing people, which went on to take hundreds, even thousands of lives in the ensuing years. And in my research and in a history or a tradition of violence, I actually write about some some of these drive-bys that were carried out by deputy gangs. So that doesn't really seem too far off to me. Um, when you're looking at violence that was going on in the eighties, like a lot of a lot of this stuff was being done by police officers. Uh, like, for example, if we look at the raids at 39th and Dalton that were carried out in 1988. Uh, These were raids done by the Los Angeles Police Department on the homes of what they claimed to be gang members. Uh, I believe upwards of 10 families were displaced, their homes were completely destroyed and the Red Cross was actually brought in to rehabilitate the neighborhood. Uh, So, we, we We hear a lot about street gangs um doing this horrible violence in that decade, which yes that that was definitely happening. but I really think we need to take a close a closer look at what influence law enforcement had in all of that.
0: And you mentioned somebody who was trying to fight back against these deputy gangs, a gentleman by the name of Lloyd Polk, and how he was the victim of a drive-by, and mysteriously there was a patrol car, a Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department patrol car, around the corner with its lights off, doing absolutely nothing, not pursuing the drive-by shooter, and then coming in to talk to the people very slowly and slowly going back to his car and reporting the shooting. That Really, that story really scared the hell out of me, Cerise. And I just got to ask you: do, Have you what what reaction have you had to this investigation? Do you have any fear for your own safety? Because there's so many people in your writing who have fought back against the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department and then either been shot or shot at.
1: Yeah, my safety is definitely a concern. Um, it's I've had to leave my house for. A number of weeks at one point. I've received multiple death threats. Um, to me, those are the hallmarks of a good story and a job well done. Wow.
0: Uh, those are hallmarks to a great story, and you should be congratulated for it because this really is amazing. You write that under section 186.22 of the California Penal Code, a criminal gang is described as any organization or group of three or more people that has a common name or identifying sign or symbol. So Are deputy gangs so brazen or so stupid as to have a sign or symbol to identify themselves as gang members? And why would they single themselves out in that way, actually bringing attention to their gang affiliation?
1: Well, they know that they're going to get away with it. They know that they won't face any consequences, really. Uh, These gangs all have tattoos that they share in common. All of them feature a skeleton. Some of them have gang signs that they flash at people and it's very brazen they know that they can get away with it so they do it
0: so do deputy gangs do they commit crimes of opportunity opportunities that are created by and on the job while policing what what kind of crimes are they involved in
1: well i i Wrote about one case where a young man was actually killed in his house by a deputy sheriff. And the deputy sheriff who killed him had actually been involved a few months prior in a botched raid on a medical marijuana dispensary where he was later found to have planted evidence Um, when he carried out. This uh, when when he showed up at this man's house who he later killed a few months later, it was speculated that he did that because he knew that this man was a uh, black market uh, cannabis dealer. And that is why he wanted to go to this man's house and perhaps target him to take advantage of this man's wares, his money, um, that type of thing. After the man was killed, the street surrounding his house was closed down for about 24 hours. And the attorneys told me that once they went inside the house, there was weaponry recovered. There were scales recovered, but there wasn't any cannabis recovered, which they thought was incredibly suspicious.
0: I would say that's very, very suspicious. You go back to the origins of these gangs and you write how Peter Pitches, the 28th sheriff of L.A. County, oversaw a new wave of aggressive expansion and modernization. Following his election in 1958, he introduced policies that drove disproportionate violence towards Black and Latinx communities And whose legacies persist today Billy clubs, helicopters, freeway pursuits And the county's first SWAT team The freshly armed forces Were on full display on August ninth, 1970 A day that haunted pitches for the rest of his career The Chicano Moratorium So again, this is 1958 modernization And a set of policies against Black and Latinx communities Were these policies in reaction to Civil rights victories won by people of color? And is it during this time of intensified police violence, the deputy gangs emerged. Are deputy gangs in opposition to civil rights expansion?
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very solid connection to make. I mean, you know, it was shortly after the modernization um, of the department that we saw the um, Watts uprising in 1965. Uh, We see the Chicano moratorium in 1973, I I definitely think that, you know, the sheriff's department um, saw this going on and, you know, used that as a means to recruit more people, uh, employ more people, um, give their personnel more weapons and more training in um, brutalization, frankly, of civilians Uh, Yeah, I I definitely think the two are linked. If we look at where deputy gangs form, they're primarily in areas where people of color live. And many of these gangs have white supremacist themes about them as well.
0: So you mentioned how during the Chicano moratorium, uh, one of the four people who was killed was journalist and law enforcement critic Ruben Salazar. And Deputy Thomas Wilson, who fired the first shot, was never disciplined for his actions. Salazar's death ignited criticism of the department and resulted in the longest coroner's inquest in the county's history. Salazar's family eventually settled with the county for $700,000. However, three years later, in an internal memo... Department management acknowledged the first deputy gang The Little Devils Members allegedly inflicted violence on demonstrators During the Chicano moratorium Captain R.D. Campbell compiled a list of 47 known members With the signature Red Devil tattoo But it isn't clear if anyone was disciplined So are deputy gangs then The, the violent racist wing of the county police department That's called in when municipalities are seeking help Like help with a peace rally
1: Oh, 100%. Yes. I mean, and one thing about these deputy gangs is they're so heavily entrenched in the department, you'll, you'll find members really anywhere. I mean, they form in the south and eastern parts of the county, but members are transferred throughout Los Angeles. So, you know, I've I've heard reports of deputies that started out in, you know, at a gang, as members of gangs in South Los Angeles and who are now working in Malibu, which is a very affluent, um, predominantly white area. So you, you don't have to be in a community of color to come face-to-face with a deputy gang member.
0: So is, I don't wanna just keep expanding on the same thing, but uh, so is, are these deputy gangs then, are they the white supremacist wing of the police department?
1: Oh yeah. And I think that, you know, when we're looking at how policing is carried out, uh, that's, it's really built on, you know, ideals of white supremacy. Police were, you know, invented to protect capital and capital at that time was other people. And, you know, that culture has continued to persist in policing, uh, black and Brown bodies are, frankly, not treated as humans in most instances and are treated as property or as things. And I think that's definitely a part of why we see so many people killed at the hands of law enforcement.
0: And we've seen this growing dynamic of instead of police serving and protecting, Uh, giving each other the impression that they are actually at war with the public. Do deputy gangs in any way contribute to that sense that the people they are supposed to be serving and protecting are their enemies?
1: 100%. I think that deputy gangs are uh, just, just an outgrowth of that attitude, of that every resident in the community that these deputies are supposed to be serving and protecting is a potential criminal. Here in Los Angeles, deputies that are newly graduated from the academy spend their first assignments in the jails, which we know are home to one of the biggest deputy gangs called the 3000 Boys. So they're getting trained in this gang environment and then they're going out on the streets and they're joining gangs at the station. And they just keep that attitude that, you know, it's us against them where those people out there are criminals and it's our job to keep them in line.
0: What do you mean by them operating within jails? Are these police officers or deputy gang members who have been arrested or people who are operating as guards? What do you mean? how, How are these police gangs operating in jails?
1: So here in Los Angeles County, our jails are run by the sheriff's department. So they are in charge of custody and operations. And one gang that i reported on the 3000 boys is uh has formed within that jail and it's made up of deputies who are actually running jail operations
0: sorry i was spitting up my coffee at that point that's really really frightening uh i've had several police officers here in chicago uh, members of the cpd Tell me, uh, I've asked them, you know, so are you guys freaked out? This is especially in the early 90s. Are you guys freaked out about the situation with gangs? And <clears throat> every one of them have said the exact same thing to me. And every time I hear it, it's more more frightening. And that is, don't worry. The Chicago Police Department is the toughest gang in the city of Chicago. What happens to policing when the police view themselves as a gang?
1: Yeah, I mean... That, that frightens me, too. It's frightening when the people that are supposed to be keeping the law view themselves as criminals. That, that's unjust, and I don't think that's how law enforcement should be viewing themselves.
0: What's the impact of deputy gangs on the police blue code of silence? Is there even more of a blue code of silence when there are deputy gangs?
1: Yeah, I think that the Blue Code of Silence, again, just really helps keep these deputy gangs in place. Uh, The Blue Code of Silence basically is that you never uh, tell on a fellow officer that you have to always protect your brother in blue. And that really lends itself to deputy gangs and it allows themselves to keep power and to take over stations and to really run the department.
0: And you were mentioning the racial aspect of them You write that the culture of gangs carefully curated At the East L.A. Station Soon found its way into other parts of the county That is that these logos were Appearing on L.A. Station uh, Walls. In 1990 A new group formed within the Peter J. Pitches Detention Center then known as The Wayside Honor Rancho The Wayside Whitey's alleged Mission was to bring to heel any incarcerated Black men, especially those who Fought with white prisoners So how often are the deputy gang's racial in nature? Because you also mentioned earlier when you're discussing the cavemen uh, that it has some multiracial makeup.
1: Yeah, well, race is definitely always a factor. And I think that this is just further evidence that you don't need to be white to buy into white supremacy. And it, it sort of goes back to what we were just talking about with the blue coat of silence, how you always need to protect a fellow officer, your brother in blue, I, I think and I think that m- many people who I've spoken with have expressed this as well, that police officers oftentimes see themselves as their own kind, their own race, even if you will, their own kind of people and the loyalty sort of sort of becomes aligned with, with that group rather than the community that you're a part of, rather than these deputy gang members, rather than thinking of themselves as Angelinos, as Californians, they'd see themselves as executioners, Grim Reapers, uh, 3,000 boys.
0: So what do you think is the attraction to people of color, police of color who want, who become members of these gangs? Because you even point out how, if it is a Latinx or a black uh, member, they get a different tattoo, a racialized tattoo. And I'm betting that that racialized tattoo is not all that sensitive.
1: Yeah. I, I genuinely think it's uh, just wanting to fit in. Um, It's incredibly hard to be, To even remain in the sheriff's department, if you don't submit to the gang culture at a minimum, um, it's expected that even if you're not a member of the gang, that you have to enforce the law as they see fit. And I've spoken to deputies that either have been forced to leave the department for fear of their lives, really, for speaking out against this stuff, Um, Or people that are still there and they're desperately trying to figure out a way to fix the situation without endangering themselves or their families.
0: When we hear about, I was just thinking about this, uh, Cerise, when we hear about rotten apples in the police department, is that what the gangs are? Are the gangs the ones that they always point to as, or gang members, uh, the ones that they always point to as rotten apples?
1: I think that the whole tree is rotten.
0: Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. You uh, also described the beating of Clyde L. Crawford on December 2nd, 1989. A 21-year-old. Crawford was incarcerated at the wayside on Rancho. He got into an argument with another inmate who was white. The man swung at him and Crawford swung back. I got the better of him, he remembers. But someone alerted the uh, Sheriff's deputies Crawford says a deputy Came into his barracks Handcuffed him And put him against the wall Several other officers Gathered around them Then you quote Crawford Saying He didn't ask me What happened He just said He's going to teach me About beating up On white guys And that's when They all started They had a Black officer there. He didn't help me. Then they targeted my leg and they were yelling, Wayside Whiteies. You add at this time he had no idea what that meant. So what does that say to you about these gangs? What does that reveal to you about these gangs if they're not known by the larger community? Yet they want people like Clyde L. Crawford to know he is being beaten by wayside whiteies.
1: Well, I mean that really that sounds like any sort of gang criminal street gang beating that you might hear about um in a sort of urban folk legend that sounds like textbook um i've heard anecdotally other stories like that of women who have been out traveling who have been hit on by deputy gang members that are flashing their gang tattoos at them Um, you know we just heard about the deputies that were involved um in the kobe bryant crash um i we don't know if these are deputy gang members but they were showing photos of uh mr bryant and his daughter to patrons at a bar to as just sort of like uh trophies from from battle if you will um so gosh i i'm sorry i sort of lost my train of thought there
0: I was just wondering, you know, why are they, why would they wayside whiteys? Why do they want Clyde why do they, to Why know?
1: Why do they want you to know? I, I really just think it's braggadocio. Um, they, and it's the knowledge that they, they can do this stuff and not get away with it. They want to be seen as the most rough and tough, um, hard charging guy. That's how they move up. That's how they get accepted in their social circles.
0: So does the police, acting like a gang, has that had any success on diminishing gang violence in Los Angeles County? No. Okay, so that hasn't had any success. We've seen that it hasn't had any success, and it hasn't had any success for at least the 35 years that it's been taking place. Then what explains why it continues if it's a failed program?
1: Well, I... (laughs) That's a great question. I'm not sure I've got the answer to that one.
0: See, I should have saved that for the end, for our question from hell. So, you write that Caldwell's <laughs> attorney, uh, who was uh, Caldwell hired attorney George V. Denny the Cal- uh, third, Crawford never went back to uh, Wayside. It's unclear if any of the deputies who participated in the attack on Crawford were ever disciplined. You write that Caldwell's attorney, uh, he, uh, or Clydwell's, uh, Denny, and the Police Misconduct Lawyer Referral Service retained a David Lynn, a former Marine who just returned to L.A. after several years abroad investigating human rights violations for various organizations, including the United, United Nations, to look at the wayside whiteys. And you also, you quote the investigator Lynn saying, the county just keeps throwing money at the defendants and the lawyers, it's a business, because all of these cases, none of them ever make it to trial. That's, a, that's what they want to avoid is trial because of any revelations that might come out about these deputy gangs. So are law firms representing police violence victims, as well as the district attorney, incentivized in any way to not have these cases get to court?
1: I wouldn't say so. I think that It really depends on the situation. Um, Sometimes it may be in a family's best interest to settle and leave Los Angeles because they are receiving harassment to the point that they don't feel safe and they want to leave. Um, Other people, they want to take it all the way to trial in order to you know help some of those revelations get out and they end up losing so it's it's a gamble and and i really think you need to look at each family situation to sort of get an understanding of why the decisions are made
0: Yeah, and you point out how Clyde L. Crawford, he settled for $60,000 and signed an affidavit that he wouldn't pursue any action on residual injuries because uh, he chose to settle because his father was ill with colon cancer. But you uh, quote Clyde L. Crawford also saying they got away with it. I've told people throughout my life about the incident. A lot of people just can't believe that police officers were evil. I mean, they really are. Do, Do you think we feel more safe when we believe that the police are not as... Heidel calls them evil. Does believing in cops just make us feel more safe? Is that, a, is that why we have this kind of denialism about police violence? Because it just gives us a, maybe a false sense of security?
1: I think so. I think so. One thing that um, people who have read this series have all told me is how scared they all feel now after reading it. And I agree. It's It's frightening to just to learn how deep this goes, how high up in the department it goes, and how many people have known about it for so long with no action being taken.
0: How high has it gone up in the department and does the department reward you for acting like a deputy gang member?
1: 100%. We've seen deputy gang members with tattoos reach the second in command of the department. That was Paul Tanaka. And Lee Baca, he was affiliated with several deputy gang members, and he was the sheriff for a number of years, uh, over 10 years before he was indicted. And he and Tanaka were both convicted of obstruction of justice, and they now sit in a federal prison. But that hasn't really been any kind of deterrent to these deputy gang members, because Many of the members are still in the department today and they get promoted and they receive bonuses and they get the choice assignments that are uh, uh, craved by all in the department. And they see that these people are able to operate as gang members and they don't ever see any consequences for that behavior.
0: You also mentioned the murder of 21-year-old Hong Pyo Lee and described how Hong was driving through the Compton area in the early morning hours of March 8, 1988, and then these deputy gang members shot Lee nine times in the back, killing him. Long Beach police officers who were there witnessing the whole event, uh, one by the name of Richard R. Boatwright, turned to his partner and said, ''We just observed the sheriffs execute somebody.'' How would you describe the relationship between the local municipalities police departments like the Long Beach Police Department and the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department? Do Are, are municipalities police forces, are they leery of bringing in the sheriff's department? How do they feel about the sheriff's department?
1: Not at all. Um, I am an active member or rather, lurker of several um, law enforcement forums and social media groups, and even just looking at public profiles for these police departments, they big up each other all the time. Um, there's a lot of collaboration that happens between them when you're looking at task forces and criminal investigations. Uh, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is viewed by many law enforcement agencies in Southern California as really the most um, hard-charging, like, oh, man, there's a word I want to say here, but I'm not sure if it's radio-appropriate, um, but really the it's baddest more, It's more, first.
0: There you go. Right? It's more yeah. than appropriate. <laughs> the person who would edit that out is sitting right here, so when we play it on air, that won't... <laughs> get through. You know, one of the things I want to ask you about is military experience. We have seen so many people go from the military directly into the police department. Do you think that military experience in any way encourages police to feel like they are at war with the public?
1: I think it definitely helps. I think that, you know, our police departments receive so many military-style weapons and vehicles definitely helps. Um, The interesting thing about it is that many of the whistleblowers that I've come across um, have military experience. So that's an interesting dynamic that um, these honor recruits, as they are called, um, come in and they observe this stuff happening. And they are quick to turn around and say, this isn't right.
0: You also mentioned how gang members, deputy gang members, they harass other deputies who are not within the gang. Uh, Why the provocation? And does it work to recruit people into the gang or does it just work to make people want to leave the police?
1: It's it's really a little bit of both. I mean, when you look at the Vikings, um, many people were harassed by the Vikings and they eventually all ended up being a station, a station full of gang members, others, um, like art, um, who is a whistleblower against, um, the banditos. I believe he, you know, he, he fought very hard to not, um, conform to the gang's program and he's still fighting today, um, to keep his job and, you know, and is facing harassment. So it, it, It really depends. But I I would say that the vast majority of uh, deputies in the sheriff's department uh, are silent on the gang issue.
0: You also mentioned that uh, This one part that I just want to Make sure I point out before we go You write that in 1989 Captain Burt Cueva Arrived at the Linwood Station And publicly pledged to phase out The Viking symbol after a resident expressed Concern over how it was perceived In the majority people of color And neighborhood, but the Vikings Continue to oust their superiors After Cueva ordered the transfer of alleged Vikings, for sued him for discrimination Clifford Yates, a deputy at the Linwood Station During his, this time, recalls in his book Deputy, 35 years as a deputy sheriff from upstate New York to L.A. He writes, we were all transferred to what would be considered choice assignments. The problem, in our view, was that in lieu of what was said in the newspaper articles, our transfers would link us to deputies that had been involved in misconduct, and we were the cancer that needed to be cut out. But as you point out, Yates may very well have been the cancer, as you quote him describing his time in law enforcement as... Hunting for humans, it's a lot of fun. Now, Yates refused to speak with you about this series, but do you think people like Yates see themselves as the cancer? Sure, there may be a sense that they don't care, but to what extent do you think they realize their impact on the community that they're supposed to
1: serve? I don't think they realize. And one thing that has truly frightened me and what keeps me up at night is the lack of empathy that I've seen from some deputies. Um, One deputy that really exemplifies that, I think, is Craig Ditch, who uh, was responsible for putting an innocent uh, teenager in prison, a man by the name of Frankie Carrillo. And he served 20 years in prison for a crime that he didn't commit, uh, that Deputy Ditch essentially Uh, set him up for. And when Ditch was asked, Frankie was eventually exonerated and he was released and he received a $10 million settlement from the County of Los Angeles for uh, what he experienced. And Ditch was asked about Frankie's release and what he thought about it. And he said that he didn't care because people like Frankie would go on to commit more crimes. And that is just job security for him.
0: You also point out how the investigator David Lynn, he takes what the evidence that he has found of these deputy gangs within the Los Angeles County uh, Sheriff's Department. He uh, you know, takes all this evidence to the superior their superiors and nothing is done with it. So eventually he decides that he's just going to contact the FBI. Who else does he have left to contact? So Lynn does contact the FBI but his colleagues Are livid. Why be upset with Lynn giving this information to the FBI? Because I think I would do the same thing. And given the situation, I mean, this law enforcement agency isn't going to help me out. I, I would assume that the larger one would help me out.
1: Yeah. Well, in that case, the FBI ended up flipping the investigation and turning it on David Lynn. And you know, he wasn't expecting that. I mean, David Lynn had. A lot of faith in the federal bureau of investigations um and I, I think like like many of us we would think that that's who you would call to really come in and you know really shake things up and clean clean house but that wasn't the case lynn ended up being viewed as a criminal himself and subject to a federal investigation um, so i mean it just goes to show you that you really When it comes to law enforcement, the Blue Code of Silence is is very real, and it applies to many branches of law enforcement. And it's something that I think the public needs to be aware of and wary of.
0: We have been speaking with reporter Cerise Castle. She is the author of the ongoing 15-part investigation, investigative series, A Tradition of Violence, the History of Deputy Gangs in the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, which appears at knock lacom You can follow Cerise, Cerise on Twitter, at Cerise Castle, and you can find out more about Cerise at cerisecastle.me. One last question for you, Cerise, and as we do with all of our guests, our final question is the question from hell, the question we hate to ask you might hate to hate to answer or our audience will hate your response. You write, well, at Lock uh, Knock LA, there's an opinion piece by Liam Fitzpatrick headlined, We Need to Abolish the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Reform is not an option for this law enforcement organization. So, my question from L for you, Cerise, is can we end racialized police violence to the level that it's at right now? Can we address it? Without addressing deputy gangs, gangs that are in police departments across the United States.
1: Absolutely not.
0: So what happens if we refuse to address those gangs? Because everybody seems to be in denial about these gangs existing.
1: We're going to continue to see more lives lost, unfortunately. We're going to see more lives lost, more bones broken, more families destroyed, and more lives traumatized.
0: And on that point of families destroyed, you even point out how, you know, this Lloyd Polk, his son, uh, 15 years after he's assassinated by a deputy gang, they go and tell his son in 2005, hey, we want you to know, we know who your father was. So do deputy gangs then criminalize families for life?
1: Uh, Yeah, Uh. absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, at least they're serving and protecting, right?
1: so they say yeah
0: cerise this is absolutely stunning work and you should be commended and count on us annoying you for the rest of your life to get you back on the show to talk about this more in depth i really this is really fantastic work and i really appreciate you being on our show today
1: happy to do it thank you so much for having me
0: all right take care cerise
1: You've been listening to a This Is Hell interview. For more interview hell, and to support the show, visit thisishell.com.